Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. So my family and I just got back from the beach, and, and when I go to the beach, I, I don't tan, I freckle, or I'll, I'll like get pink, and so, you know, we left last Sunday, and the, the next, was it Saturday? Okay, I'm sorry, last Saturday, we got there Sunday, and my, my beautiful bride, she turns like four different skin colors, um, and you know, I go out to the beach, and for a couple hours, I'm pretty much done. You know, like, I, I go in there, like, I'm red, um, I'm burning, and, you know, the rest of the trip, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt, a hat, socks, shoes, long pants the whole time. Uh, being a little bit funny, I'm not wearing uh, socks and shoes. But, um, um, and so my, my wife comes into our prayer meeting, and also I'll, I'll blister on, like, the weirdest places. It could be my elbow or whatever it is, and I'm, like, apparently, like, burned right here. <laughs> and so, anyway, if you see, like, skin falling off, uh, like, below my nose, just just let me know. Um, guys, good to see everyone. How's everyone doing? Awesome, awesome. We got some, obviously, we're in the summer months, and people taking trips, going to the beach, getting tan, burning, whatever it is. Um, it's good to see everyone. <coughs> let me pull my notes here. Um Guys, just want to share a couple housekeeping items. I, I think everyone knows that we're in a little bit of a transition with the church body. And so mainly just wanted to point out that to continue to, uh, you know, pray for Cedar House. Um, about six weeks ago, uh, you know, they appointed different leaders, and uh, we're looking at different things. And, you know, the one thing I'll say is a lot of people here are committed to this, this local house and this body. And so I, I'm encouraged about what God is doing. No doubt there's a lot of, like, figuring things out, a lot of, like, a lot of clarity to be determined uh, from this and revealed. Um, but such a, a great job from the worship team. And, um, you know, when I was uh, listening to Mary Beth pray over the kids, uh, I just started thinking, like, at the end of the day, the Christian life is just learning to be like a kid again. And we will, as adults, we have to unlearn so many things that we've been taught, whether it's about religion, whether it's about different forms of church, legalism, who God is, who we believe the world to be. And all he's really asking is, it, is it's an invitation for us to come like a kid, totally needy, totally honest, totally uninhibited, 
and he's waiting for us to meet us at our deepest place of need. We could probably pray right there and go home, but I'm going to preach a little bit. <coughs> um, before I speak, uh, I'm going to pray. Father, I know that you're here. I know that you dwell inside every one of us. But I pray that you would come and that you would speak to us through your word in a way that is eye-opening, in a way that we may receive wisdom and revelation. We don't want it to be doctrine. We don't want it to be information. We don't want it to be just knowledge, just head knowledge. So Holy Spirit, permeate in our inner being, our inner man, and speak to us in a way that's fresh and that reveals your son Jesus to us in a way that is full of truth and full of love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Mr. Kwame and I will be taking turns speaking. I'm going to take the month of June. Uh, We don't know what July looks like, uh, but we'll have different people coming up here, and uh, we'll probably speak on different topics or series or whatever God's putting on our heart. Uh, But for the month of June... God's just been really speaking to me in terms of freedom and victory. And I don't know, I don't know about you. Uh, there were a lot of things modeled out to me in life. Uh, one of those things was how to play sports. I remember when I was eight years old, uh, someone was teaching me how to play defense uh, when I played at the YMCA Basketball League. And for some reason, I like interpreted it a little bit differently than what they were saying. And instead of playing defense like straight up like this, for some reason, I thought you had to have your back to, to, the, to the person on offense. And so I would, like, literally try and find them to the left or the right. And I would play defense just like this. <laughs> and I quickly stopped because I had a lot of people, like, run by me and get layups. Um, but it's a silly illustration. But it's amazing when we don't have a good model for the faith of Jesus Christ or model of Christianity we fall into a lot of bondage, a lot of error, and we're living in lies and not the truth. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. But to experience freedom, we have to know by experience and know in our heart, we have to know the truth, and then we will be set free. And so that's what I want to focus on in the month of June Because I haven't seen a lot of people model out to me, here's what victory looks like. Here's what freedom looks like. But probably one of the most important things for us to learn in the Bible is as we study the earthly life of Jesus Christ, he models it out for us. Yes, he came to reveal God the Father to us, but he also came to reveal the intention of man and woman to live life. And it's not like this, not a horizontal life. It's a vertical life fully dependent on God the Father to meet all of our needs every single time. And that, I would say, is the secret to to victory. That's the secret to living life. He agrees. Someone's got it. (laughs) Fully dependent on Jesus Christ because we all have needs. We all have needs to be loved. We have needs to be accepted, needs to belong, needs to have worth, needs to have value. 
needs for security. You've seen it, I've seen it. Whenever we don't find those needs in the person of Jesus Christ, we will go look to something else, some other thing, to get those needs met. And that is telling you, it's telling me, they don't know what it looks like to have a fully dialogical, dependent relationship on Jesus Christ. And I've seen marriages destroyed. I've seen families destroyed. I've seen people lose their jobs. All because when they were a kid, they didn't get this need met of love, of acceptance, of knowing that they belong without a shadow of, of a doubt, regardless of their behavior. And they don't know to look to Jesus Christ, and they run to someone else to get those needs met. And man, it's a mean time for them. It's a tough day. So man, if we can learn to walk in victory, just as Jesus Christ modeled it out for us, to be fully dependent. So many men wrestle with pornography, alcohol. We struggle with control, gossip, the need for financial security. I see it all the time in my industry. But what we're really wanting is him. We want intimacy with him. That's why we go to it. We want comfort that we never got as a kid. That's why we go to it. We want security that we don't really believe that we have. That's why we go to it. It's fully met in this vertical relationship in Jesus Christ. Like, we're going to do this all all message long for sure. So I'm going to be looking at um, Matthew chapter 4. Melanie, you could go ahead and put that first bullet point up. Because it's important for us to know the schemes of the enemy. And if you've been in church long enough, you've heard that before. You've heard, hey, I need to know how to play defense and play offense. But the driving force of the enemy is to get us to act independently from the life of Jesus. You know what? Seeing, I think we should refer to it as like seeing because it has been defeated. And no doubt churches put a lot of emphasis on living in sin. And it's important to know that we have the victory, always. And the definition of sin is getting a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. I don't have this TV going up. So can you go to the first point, uh, Melanie? The great and radical claim of Christianity is that Jesus Christ offers to live his sinless, victorious life all over again, just as he did on this earth, in you. In your circumstances, in the midst of your situations that you face on a daily basis. And he modeled it out for as a man, as a woman, that we would see how man is intended to act from the very beginning. I don't know about you, actually I probably do, but in this worldly system, we learn to live a very independent life. Romans chapter 1 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from all ungodliness and unrighteousness of those who suppress the truth. Then it goes on to say, ultimately God gives them over to a debased way of thinking. He calls it the futility of your mind. And the Greek word for utility is the word where we get monologue. We learn to have a self-talk 
constantly when we face trouble, when we get in a fight with our spouse, when something goes wrong with our kids, we immediately look internally to our resources to handle that problem at that point in time versus having a prayer life and being fully dependent on God the Father. That was the intent of the life of Jesus, to reveal the Father, but as equally as important, I'll probably, probably say it 17 other times, he came to reveal man and woman as God intended for them to be fully dependent and fully relational. I guess the, the AC is, is the AC not working? <laughs> yeah, that's the anointing for sure. Funny. So I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to look at the ways that Jesus Christ handled temptation. I'm going to try and go as fast as I can here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Guys, so when you read the book of Matthew, that was mainly written towards a Jew. Okay, so there's 60 times in the book of Matthew where they're fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. So it's written to the nation of Israel. So you'll see a lot of things that ultimately compare back to the nation of Israel. And here's one thing. So he was tempted in the wilderness, and you'll see his responses is, are very similar to what, um, to what Moses decreed in Deuteronomy 6 and chapter 8. It says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. I mean, it's like when, when you read that, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. If I miss a meal, I'm starving, but he's... 40 days and 40 nights, they said afterwards he was hungry. Really? I just, I guess. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of this world, in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So why do we see a story of Jesus being tempted? Well, what happened right before that in chapter 3? Anyone remember? Yep. So the heavens open, and the Spirit descends like a dove, and Jesus says, you are my son, in whom I love, and whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit led him into the wilderness? What? God led him into the wilderness... I guess if I'm going to think about a temptation, I'm thinking that maybe, maybe he might send him to the city, you know, or maybe to a place to where he might could get in more trouble. But he sends him into the wilderness. 
Now, why does he do that? I think it's important for us to learn that temptation doesn't come from without. It comes from within. If you could put that scripture up, uh, James 1. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the what? By the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of its creatures. So temptation comes to us from within. Now, are we evil? No. We're the righteousness of God. But we, when we see something, we hear something, we can be tempted by the desires, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of, of something that we see. And he was modeling to us. We don't have to live a life that's fully dependent on the physical desires that we experience in this life. My gosh, man, our world is filled with people living from however they feel, self-expression. I'm not going to go much too much on a rant with it, but we, are, we see such a model of people being governed by food, by how they feel, by sex by alcohol. These are things that whenever we are stressed or whenever it's been modeled out to us, we eventually learn, a, we, we start making choices that are independent of him. And in that choice, as we keep making it, it starts to become a routine or a habit. And then it grabs hold of, of I would say, our, our body. As we continue to choose that, then it becomes an addiction. In Jesus Christ is giving us the model. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, he's talking about provision, his needs, what he needed. Now, he goes back to the scripture in Deuteronomy 6. Didn't Jesus give him way more than they actually needed? He said, you could go on the sixth day, and you could get almost as double as you would for regular provision. But what he was really saying is, why isn't your father providing for you? Are you really worth any of this? Do you really think he's going to provide for you? He was trying to create doubt at the level of identity. Isn't that what happens in our own life? But Jesus is modeling out for us that we would be fully dependent on him, regardless of how much money we have in the bank account how much food we have in the cupboard. Uh, funny story. So we, uh, in, we went to Destin this week, or outside of Destin in Miramar Beach. And so it was my family. We have three kids, my brother-in-law and his wife, and my, my you know, mother and father-in-law. Yep. Um, and, you know, you get to see, like, kids will skip a meal, and then they'll go, like, straight to, like, the Cheetos or the ice cream or whatever it is. In some ways, it's funny, but in some ways, it's like they're actually learning to, you know, find security, um, you know, in, in what they eat, in like a meal. 
you know, and, and for me, it's like whenever I open the, the refrigerator door and I see like a full shelf of food, I don't know why, I just, it just always kind of gives me a little bit of a warm and fuzzy. Like we, we have enough food for the next, you know, five days. <laughs> That's at least the lie that I'm believing at that time. Um, you know, uh, and it's amazing how provision or physical needs have the ability to speak to us. And so he's modeling out not only that we get our provision from Jesus, but man, doesn't that set us in a, in a flurry of doubt? And does God love me enough to provide for me anyway, regardless of my behavior? And there's a subtle pressure here from Jesus to act on his own. That's what he was really after. He wanted him to sin. He wanted him to act independent of God the Father on the basis that, after all, human life is important. I need, I need some food probably today. I need money in the bank. We need all that to, to, to live and to survive. But it's when we get our eyes off of Jesus Christ and we become fully dependent on those things versus this thing, that's where things start to creep in. So the devil's attempt is to communicate that God doesn't care to provide for his needs. And he wants to reverse the priorities of life and to make the physical life more important than the spiritual life. This is an example that we have as a race to come to the brainwashing of the tempter. Whether it's image on your body, whether it's food that you go to for security, and I'm not calling anyone out here, but I do want the truth to be exposed and revealed to us so that we can start living in a way that we haven't before. And we believe the lie that the physical life is the most important thing. But what does Jesus say? What is, he, how, what is his weapon? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man is more than an animal. We're more than simply an animated piece of beef steak, a hunk of meat with a nervous system. We have this spirit in us, and we are intertwined with the Holy Spirit, and we get all of our identity, all of our needs, and all of our worth from Jesus Christ. And with that first thrust, he ended that temptation. Man, if it could be so easy for us. I do believe that the enemy, now the enemy cannot possess a Christian. I do believe there's one devil. I don't think he's here right now. Um, he does have a force of fallen angels that no doubt they come to do one thing. They come to lie to you. Actually, it's more than one thing. That's kind of the same big thing. Lie. They want to torment you. And they want you to get to think differently in an independent way than Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the enemy. That is their scheme. They want you to believe that you aren't worth it, you don't have what it takes, and you cannot get your needs met from God the Father. And then the second temptation, does he go towards the physical? No, he actually goes towards the soul. The fan is blowing my pages here. 
It says, Then the devil took him into the holy city, Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. So the pinnacle, do you know how tall that was? Roughly 450 to 500 feet. And he's saying, I want you to throw yourself down. And then he quotes scripture. The angels will be, they'll be responsible for catching you. And then it'll be this big public display of how you showed awesome, awesome work, signs, wonders, miracles, all those things. But it's the great misconception of the faith. Miracles, signs, wonders are part of the Christian life. Bring them on. Yes, we want all those now. But it's when we start to fixate on my faith, public spectacles, on us doing something versus the quiet trust and the love of a father who will never leave you nor forsake you. The devil tries to lure him to say, I need you to do something to be somebody. I need you to work this act of, this huge act of this miraculous sign independent of God the Father. But what does scripture say? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. Man, that seems kind of opposite sometimes when we do see physical healing, which is amazing. Fire, tongue, signs, miracles, all those things. But when we make that the pursuit and we leave behind this walk of faith, we are not walking in truth. He says, 1 Timothy 2, 2, for kings and all who are in authority, so that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. 1 Peter 3, 4, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And my friends, if you do want to make it all about you, I guess my question is, why do you want that power? Why has it become all about you? Because when you read scripture, you could go to Colossians 1.11. Bear with me as I turn to it. It says that God would fill you with the knowledge and the power for all endurance and patience with joy. I don't know about you, but there are moments when I just don't have enough patience for my kids. Or at least I believe that lie. Or I don't have enough patience for my beautiful bride. And I'm maxed out and I lash out, I get frustrated, I get angry. And what he's really saying is that God would give you power so that you can walk in all endurance and patience with joy. We don't have to believe the lie that we have to have it all together 24-7. I agree with you. It doesn't sound that exciting. But it does take power. We have access to the King of Kings resources for us to walk in patience, walk in love. Isn't that the first characteristics of love? It says love is long-suffering. 
if we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty, isn't church really all about relationships? But do I have enough patience to hear someone out, to walk with my kids who are struggling, to meet with my wife who might be going through a disconnect? And he's saying, I want to fill you with power so that you could walk with patience and long-suffering in joy. And you do it with truth. That's his second combat with the temptation of, of the devil. And the third one, it was an attack on his spirit. What happens is I scroll to Matthew. Let me find Matthew again. It says, again, the, de- the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. What was he really going after? He removed all the pretenses, all the mask, and he said, just worship me. I'll give it all to you. But if you really notice, how many verses does he really go at? Is it 10? Is it 15? No, it's like a verse or two. The enemy does expose us to things. That might, there might be a glimpse of glory. That we would have some type of worth apart from Jesus Christ. That we can invest in something of value. But I love what one of the commentators says. It's interesting that the devil only showed it to him in a moment of time. A quick glimpse. And he goes from the temptation of the physical, the soul, and he tries to get him with the spirit. Because isn't that one of the biggest lies that we believe? We're not really worth it anyway. He wants to keep us in the shame-based identity to where I don't really have what it takes with Jesus Christ in life apart from him can be a very mean time. And so he goes after those things. But the problem with all this is to kind of make this personal. Man, a lot of us really struggle with what I just mentioned, the physical, the soul, and the spiritual. And the enemy, as we're sweating and going like this, keeps hammering to us the areas of worth, provision, how we think, and he wants to keep us in this endless cycle of struggle whenever we're walking apart from him. I love what Ray Stedman says. Ray Stedman's passed away. He was a pastor in California. It says, we feel the force of the enemy's alluring lie that we will gain something by this action or thought or attitude that is tempting us. We think if we don't do this thing, life is going to pass us by. We're going to lose something. And if we do it, we will gain a hidden kingdom, which will be a satisfying and blessed experience. That is the force of temptation. But when we retreat to what God says is the truth about us, then we immediately discover the end of the struggle. What does it take to live by truth? Well, First, the Holy Spirit has to illuminate that we are believing a lie. 
and he has to expose that lie so that he could come rushing in and enable his life because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he has to bring this in. Exactly. And he gives us grace. Grace is to where we are empowered to walk in the victory that Jesus Christ has already paid for. Melanie, can you put the first scripture up there in James? Uh, Sorry, uh, James 4. James 4. And as you're putting it up there, I'll read it. In James 4, it says, The Spirit dwells in us, yearns jealously, and he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will draw near to you. Once again, going back to the moment of when Mary Beth was praying, you know, when, when I think about God opposing the proud, I do think of someone that is totally opposite of a kid. Doesn't he just want us to make us little kids very needy on everything that Jesus Christ would offer to us? In fact, he says, I'll, I'll give you more grace. And then when he gives you that grace, all you have to do is say truth, and the devil goes fleeing. But the hard part is, is we need to stand in that revelation. We need to stand in that truth. Ephesians 6.10 says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know what I think the real grace is? Is we're going to screw up. (laughs) We're going to make bad choices. In Romans 6, he says, hey, what shall I say then? When sin abounds, what's going to abound much more? Grace. He gives you the grace to realize, man, I just made a choice independently of him, and now I'm going to start walking in the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. God's fighting for you. He's with you. And then he's okay if you mess up. (laughs) He's not pointing down. There is no religious finger pointing at you. And he picks you up. He puts his arm around you. And he gives you more grace. And then it's our opportunity to trust that he will meet our every need 24-7. The next scripture is in Hebrews 4, chapter 9 through 16. Because at the end of the day, isn't this all about trust? And the expression of that trust is how we know and how we experience victory. It says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What is a Sabbath rest? For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. You rest from the striving. You rest from the ceasing. You rest from all of your activity that is apart from God. That's what he's talking about. Just as God did from his, let us therefore make every effort. Isn't that kind of like different? You, you have to work to rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And here it is. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates to even divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, and everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, here comes the grace and mercy. Since we have such a great high priest, didn't we just see he modeled out how to handle all temptation? He has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. I don't know the weight of what Jesus felt in that moment. I mean, his mouth had to be watering. He's like, bread. (laughs) Command that that stone becomes bread. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And in Luke, he talked about he was tempting him the whole time. It says, Cole, command that the stone becomes bread. No doubt, like, there had to be, like, some form of saliva coming out of his mouth. But he held firmly to the faith. So whatever you're going through, financially, relationally, occupationally, uncertainty, it says, let us then approach God's throne of judgment It doesn't say that. It says, let us approach God's throne of what? Grace. With confidence. So that we may have mercy and find grace. What is grace? It's the empowerment to walk in the victory. He's saying, I've already paid for it. Now you just got to walk into it. Now go. (laughs) He is so intentional about shaking us and getting our attention and saying, if you just trust me, just let me meet all of your needs, physical, emotional, spiritual, everything that you're wrestling with, I've already paid for it and I've already walked in it. That's our great high priest. In the last scripture, 1 John 5, 11, exactly. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. You know, 1 John is a book that's all about fellowship with God. It's not so much focusing on relationship. It's, all, it's in there too, but it's focusing on a deep abiding fellowship, a dialogical relationship to where we're spending time with him day by day. And then he ends it by saying, he's given you the life. Now go walk in the victory. He says in 1 John 5, 4, it says, anyone who is born of God does what? Overcomes the world. And how does he overcome it? By faith. What is faith? It's an active, living dependency on God to meet you in every single point of life. And what is eternal life? It's a different quality of life. It's a resurrection power of life that we can walk and live differently. We can walk and live in victory regardless of what's going on in your circumstances. You know, for the last uh, number of years, uh, working, working in the financial industry, I don't, I don't know what it is, whether it's COVID or just some things going on, but there have, have been some, you know, business uh, investments and opportunities that just have kind of come crashing down. And, you know, it's, it's so easy whenever stuff happens that isn't good, or it's a failure, or it's a problem, to look back and say, what could I have done differently? Am I the problem? 
but really what life circumstances do when all these things happen is it's revealing what are you truly depending on anyway to get your source of life. And he's working in that circumstance so that he can expose and express his life to you so that you can know and fully trust that he is there 24-7 to meet your needs. One of my favorite books is uh, by a guy named Brennan Manning. He wrote a book called Abba's Child. And there, anybody read Abba's Child by Brennan Manning? Sweet. All right, so I'm going to tell you the whole book. Um, now, in chapter 4, uh, there's a part to where um, an, an uncle of a Catholic priest had this certain view of God. He viewed God as high and mighty, way up, way up kind of pie in the sky God who's judging everyone and who's not there on a personal basis. And he had this revelation that, that God is my papa. And, and more specifically, that God w- was his daddy. And so there's this, this you know, little scene in the book about how he's skipping around this lake in the preseason. And he said, what are you so happy for? And he's like, my Abba is very fond of me. My daddy loves me. I think that's what Jesus was living from. He was living from the wisdom of accepted tenderness. He was living from the security that as God just said, this is my son in whom I love and I'm well pleased. And then he acted and he stood on the truth. Isn't that what he's calling you to right now? I mean, I probably, we probably could have prayed and gone home when I said it's time for us to act like a child, but wanted to speak for 25 minutes. But if you are not experiencing this different quality of resurrection power in life, no shame, no condemnation, but man, maybe it's time to look at how you do life. Maybe it's time to assess, analyze What are you holding on to? What lies are you believing? What have you believed about yourself, God, and the world that is tripping you up? And then we might need to have some type of relationship to where, you know what? It's okay that you mess up. God knows your story, and he's not mad at you. He already knew that you were going to make all those mistakes, and he's ready and waiting for you to meet you in your unbelief. Isn't that what he did to the children of Israel when they were crying and soaking in the wilderness? He gave them more than enough. He said, I will rain bread from heaven so that you can experience my supply. Um, Mary Beth and Shane, and I guess the band will come back up. Has anyone in here lost a few pounds? Um, But at the end of the day, the victory is won, but also this life of faith where we have to work out our own salvation with fear, like a holy reverence and trembling, is done between you and God. No one else can do this for you. I know a lot of times that we'll, we'll, we'll preach and then we'll, we'll kind of have some music playing in the background, um, but the goal of it is so that you can connect with God. So as they play here, man, let them speak to you. 
whether it's about finances, whether it's about your job, whether it's about your marriage, whether it's about relationships, whether it may be about an addiction. Man, his grace is so big, it's more than enough. Stop being so hard on yourself. Stop believing a lie and let's start standing on the truth and walking together in freedom and victory. Next week, we'll look at Romans 6 and 7 and 8 to where we can have freedom by living from not our body, our soul, but from his spirit. And that gives this Zoe life that's victorious. It overcomes regardless of what happens. So just focus on King Jesus. Let his rhema word speak to you. May it be a new word, a fresh word, so that you can know him in a better way. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lift your eyes to Yeah.
know, the, the one thing I left out is after Jesus fighting with the temptation, the devil left, and we can't discount, angels came and ministered to him. We can't just dismiss the significance of that. 2020, 2021, whatever you're going through, if you're tired of fighting temptation, tired of fighting things alone, the mercy and grace is just so abundant as we go like this and let him minister to us. Just as he ministered to Jesus, he wants to minister to you and he wants to do it through his mercy and grace. It's undeserving, but it's for you. You know, another thing of the life of Jesus that was modeled out to us is he actually walked with his disciples. Like they broke bread, they prayed, they did life with each other. And the freedom and the victory that they learned to walk and they saw it modeled out. Um, not just once a week, not once a month. So the invitation is, I think it's great here to do a couple hours on Sunday. There's no shame or guilt at all. Um, but true discipleship comes as we do life. There's activity, there's investment of time. So we have a number of things going on, uh, whether it's the worship rooms. We'll start a men's group here in a couple weeks, probably on the evenings. And some other, other ministries come up. I know here in a few weeks, I need to get with Justin. We'll have a little pool party at the Turner's house. I'll be pulling barbecue set up. So the invitation is, is we want to do it with you. I think as that is modeled out, as that is experienced, as that is walked out, freedom and victory will reign. Because we're not isolated and independent. We're doing it together. So anyone experiencing just weariness, tired of walking things alone, frustrated, there's invitation up here. You can meet with someone right where you're at through prayer. I'm going to pray and dismiss and go from there. Father, I pray that you would, um, as this is over, that you continue to speak to us over and over and over again that you're fighting for us, that you're there, that you're with us. You've already paid for, it's already finished by the work of the cross. You always lead us in triumph. And it's our opportunity to learn to trust you in a fully dependent, vibrant, overcoming, victorious relationship with you. So reveal that to us through our dreams, through the word, through relationships, through whatever means necessary, Father. I know you're intentional about our freedom. So open our eyes and our ears to hear your goodness, to experience a taste and see the goodness of the Lord. We trust you to do that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.